0: Hi there. Thank you for choosing to listen to this sermon. We pray that God would use this as an added resource to benefit you in conjunction with you belonging to a local church near you. This sermon was preached at Central Baptist Church, Pretoria. 130 years of believers loving God, caring for one another and impacting the world. Friends, I I thought about adapting the slides this evening and with every point giving you the latest score so that you could keep track. Um, But the elders decided that it would be better if we just left it for the end and gave ourselves the opportunity of coming together and watching the whole game from the national anthem onwards. So, straight after the service, we will watch the rugby. The text this evening lends itself towards a title that includes the word disobedience. And so as a test of obedience, um, I joked with Larry that we were aiming for a one and a half hour service, but uh, a sermon, um, but that won't be the case. I'm going to pray. You can find 1 Samuel chapter 15 in your Bibles, 1 Samuel chapter 15. We're going to read in a while. Uh, I'm going to pray We'll do an introduction, and then we'll read the text together. Let's pray. Father God in heaven, thank you for your word. It is faithful, it is true. Upon it, we can, we can rest our salvation. Lord God, we can draw our doctrine. For all matters of life and for godliness, they are sufficient. Even as we read your word this evening, Lord, by your spirit, would you teach us? that we would understand what is plain before us. And then, Lord God, again, by your Spirit, would you transform us, that we, your people, might be doers of your word and not merely hearers, that we might live to your praise and to your glory. I ask this in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let me start with an introduction. A wife asks her husband... Dear, what would you like as a present for your birthday? And uh, the husband responds, Your love, your obedience, and your respect is enough for me. The wife thinks for a while and then says, No, no, I I insist on a present. (laughs) Love, obedience, and respect. Obedience. I imagine that it won't come as a surprise to anyone that from obedience flows blessing. This evening in 1 Samuel chapter 15, we will see that disobedience ends in judgment. 1 Samuel chapter 15 tells the sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiral down to judgment. We're gonna look at Five points. The first point being the Lord's will. And we will see that from verse 1 to verse 7. That the Lord commands Saul to completely destroy the Amalekites, which Saul does. Second point from verse 8 and 9. Saul's will. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of all that was good. Third point. The Lord's rejection from verse 10 all the way to verse 23. The Lord regrets making Saul king and Saul is rejected as king. The fourth point, the Lord's resolve from verse 24 to verse 33. Saul pleads forgiveness but the Lord's verdict stands and Samuel executes Agag. And then the last point, the Lord's regret. That's just verse 34 and 35. Samuel and Saul part company and the Lord regrets making Saul king. That's what we're gonna be looking at. That's how the text is arranged. We're gonna be working through that. But first let's read through the text this evening. Again, 1 Samuel 15 tells the sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiral down to judgment. The Lord's will from verse one to seven. And Samuel said to Saul, the Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now therefore, listen to the words of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I have noted what Amalek did to Israel in opposing them on the way when they came out of Egypt. Now go strike Amalek and devote to destruction All that they have, do not spare them, but kill both man and woman, child and infant, ox and sheep, camel and donkey. So Saul summoned the people and numbered them at Taliim, 200,000 men on foot and 10,000 men of Judah. And Saul came to the city of Amalek and lay in wait in the valley. Then Saul said to the Canaanites, go, depart. Go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy you with them. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Canaanites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. Second point, Saul's will. Just verse 8 and 9. Verse 8. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction The third point, quite long, from verse 10 all the way to verse 23. The word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret that I have made Saul king. For he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning, and it was told, Samuel, Saul came to Carmel, and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul, and Saul said to him, blessed be you of the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, what then? is this bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear. Saul said, They have bought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, Stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, Speak. And Samuel said, Oh you are little in your own eyes, are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel, and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, Go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of the Lord? Saul said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. I've bought Agag, the king of Amalek, and they've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people took the spoil, sheep and oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord. Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams for rebellion is the sin of divination and presumption is as iniquity and idolatry because you have rejected the word of the Lord. He has rejected you from being king. Fourth point, from verse 24 to verse 33, the Lord's resolve. Saul said to Samuel, I've sinned, for I've transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. Now therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you for you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore and Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and has given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret, for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, I've sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. Then Samuel said, bring ye to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites, and Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so your mother be childless among women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. Final point, number five. The Lord's regret, the final two verses. Then Samuel went to Ramah, and Saul up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death, but Samuel grieved over Saul. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. Just so far in the reading of God's word. 1 Samuel chapter 15 tells the sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiraled down to judgment. And our first point comes from verse 1 to 7, the Lord's will. What did the Amalekites do to tick God off so much? (laughs) The Amalekites attacked the children of God as they left Egypt. Egypt. An unprovoked, unrelenting, brutal ambush at Rephidim. I asked myself the question, what would I do if one of my children were attacked? Caitlin or Catherine or Thomas. Would I sit idly by? I don't think so. In Deuteronomy chapter 25 verse 17, God told his children what he would do. Remember what Amalek did to you on the way as you came out of Egypt, how he attacked you on the way when you were faint and weary and cut off your tail, those who were lagging behind you, and he did not fear God. Therefore, when the Lord your God has given you rest from all your enemies around you, in the land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance to possess, you shall blot out of memory of Amalek from under heaven. You shall not forget. Is this genocide? Yes, it is. In Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 10, we learn that the Israelites would not normally um, go about this particular war practice. They would normally extend peace terms to a city that they were attacking. If accepted, the city became subservient to the nation of Israel. If rejected, the city was besieged, the men were killed, but the women and children were spared according to Deuteronomy chapter 20, verse 12 to 14. The Amalekites, were an exception. Blotting them out of memory was to be an act of divine justice and wrath against them. So we read in verse four that Saul summons the people, he, he numbers them at Telaim: two hundred thousand men on foot and ten thousand men of Judah. And Saul comes to the city of Amalek and, and lies in wait in the valley. And he says to another tribe, the Canaanites, go and depart. Go down from among the Amalekites, lest I destroy them with you. For you showed kindness to all the people of Israel when they came up out of Egypt. So the Kenites departed from among the Amalekites. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. In 1 Samuel chapter 14 from verse 47 to 52, the passage where we ended last week We read that Saul right now is at the heart of his power, the heart of his kingship, the heart of his military might. He is a shrewd commander in chief. He musters his forces. He sets up a base camp in a valley. He he times his attack and he warns the Canaanites, a tribe friendly with Israel, sparing them, yes, but also mitigating against them getting caught up in the conflict and siding with the Amalekites. And then he unleashes the fury of God upon the Amalekites. They were devoted to destruction. Consider, just for a moment, the fearsome justice and wrath of a holy God. 1 Samuel chapter 15 tells the sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiral down to judgment. And the first point was the Lord's will. The second point is Saul's will. And that's just verse eight and nine. This is the conflict in our text. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, in verse eight, alive. Alive and devoted to destruction, all the people with the edge of the sword. Saul said he defeated the Amalekites, but he did not do so completely. He spared the king. And it turns out, as we look at the rest of the Old Testament story, that he did not wipe out every man, woman, and child. There was still some folk left. We read of Amalekites in 1 Samuel, the same book, 1 Samuel chapter 27 verse 8, and again in 1 Samuel chapter 30 verse 1 to 3. And the main bad guy in the book of Esther, the Jew-hating Haman, is called the Agag, And that's in Esther chapter 3 verse 1, which means that he was probably a descendant of Agag. Verse 9, but Saul and the people spared Agag. And the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. But all that was despised and worthless, well, that they devoted to destruction. Why did Saul spare the king? Well, I imagine Saul being the prideful man that this text reveals him as, wanted to parade him before the people as his trophy. Saul was clearly a prideful man and liked to have his ego stroked. It may have been that Agag still had some influence or wealth that Saul wanted to leverage. Whatever the reason, the outcome is the same. Saul spared And note that the people, the Israelites, the children of God are in on the action too. It may be that they didn't know what the Lord had commanded Saul to do to devote to destruction, the Amalekites. Maybe as the battle came to an end, they called for Agag to be spared and the plunder to be taken. Now, instead of heeding the command of the Lord, Saul caved in. And heeded the call of the people. And note Saul's deceitfulness. If it was worthless, he destroyed it. If it was valuable, he kept it. Saul knows what he is doing in this text. He is being willfully disobedient. There's a question. Have there been times in your own life that you've been tempted to obey men rather than God. 1 Samuel chapter 15 tells the sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiral down to judgment. Our first point was the Lord's will. Our second point was Saul's will. The third point is the Lord's rejection. Verse 10 says, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I Regret that I've made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me and has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry and he cried to the Lord all night. Does God care when you sin? This is so sad. The Lord regrets that he made Saul king. God's heart breaks over Saul's disobedience. This isn't saying that God made a mistake and is now apologizing. This is saying that the heart of God is not emotionless as the story unfolds. God doesn't sit in heaven with a clipboard, ticking off boxes, coldly say it's going according to my plan. No, Saul's disobedience hurts God. Your disobedience hurts God, grieves God. And in this text, it grieved Samuel also. Verse 12, Samuel rose early to meet with Saul in the morning and it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel and behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. Friends, disobedience ends in judgment God will not be mocked and he will not wink at sin. And so he sends his prophet Saul to make him aware of the consequences of his actions. Verse 13, and Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, blessed be you to the Lord. I've performed the commandment of the Lord. Even as he sees the prophet approaching, Saul knows he is in big trouble and the lies start. And Samuel said in verse 14, what then is the bleating of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? And Saul said, they have bought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God and the rest we have devoted to destruction. How do you respond when sin catches up to you? When you know you're in the wrong and you've been caught out, Saul is bobbing and weaving, trying to get himself off the hook. First, he blames the people. They made me do it. I'm reminded of Adam in the garden after he's fallen into sin when he says, the woman whom you made, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. It's always someone else's fault and he lies on top of it. Not only did the people make me do it, Hansi with his hands in his head, crying about sin he had committed, the devil made me do it. Not only did the people make me do it, but we've not actually done anything wrong. The animals are for sacrifice. Verse 16, and Samuel said to Saul, Stop. I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And Saul rather arrogantly allows him to speak as if the prophet of God could be silenced. And Samuel says, Well, you are little in your own eyes. Are you not the head of the tribes of Israel? The Lord anointed you king over Israel and the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go devote to destruction the sinners, the Amalekites and fight against them until they are consumed. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pronounce on the spoil, pounce on the spoil and do what is evil in the sight of God? How do godly men respond to sin? It's all very well and good to say that they deal with it, but what happens if it's a man in power? It's easy to trample on the little guy's neck, but will the scales of justice be balanced when it's someone you know, someone important? Samuel was up for the task. He's having none of Saul's shenanigans. Saul, you were given a clear instruction. You have disobeyed God. You have sinned. What you've done is evil. And Saul in verse 20 said to Samuel, I've obeyed the voice of the Lord. I've gone on the mission which the Lord sent me. I've bought Agag, the king of Amalek, and I've devoted the Amalekites to destruction. What more do you want from me? But the people took the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice them to the Lord your God in Gilgal. Saul doubles down. I have obeyed. I went. Agag was spared so that he could face justice. The spoils were taken to be offered as sacrifices. Notice that Saul keeps on saying the Lord your God, the Lord Your God, it's like he understands how far he has fallen and he can't bring himself to acknowledge the Lord as his God anymore. Verse 22 is the judgment. And Saul said, has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to... Obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams for rebellion is as the sin of divination and presumption as the iniquity of idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. What does God actually want from you? Religious observance? <laughs> Come to church, even when the box are playing rugby? Put money in the offering plate? Burnt offerings? Sacrifices? No. God wants repentant hearts. God wants contrite spirits. Bodies that have been surrendered to him as living sacrifices. Saul's disobedience demands justice. Saul's rebellious heart must be overcome. Saul's presumptuous spirit must be judged. God doesn't need Saul to perform an external ritual. God demands internal submission. And so God rejects Saul as king. Over a few sheep and oxen, and a king named Agag? Isn't God's judgment of Saul a little bit harsh? No. Saul's heart is corrupt, his spirit is rebellious, his bent is toward disobedience. And so, God, who is holy, judges him. Rightly, Saul will no longer be king. In the words of an early church father, Cyprian, the proud have God for their adversary. 1 Samuel 15 tells the sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiral down to judgment. The first point was the Lord's will. The second point, Saul's will. The third point, the Lord's rejection. The fourth point, the Lord's resolve from verse 24 Saul said to Samuel I've sinned for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and obeyed their voice now therefore please pardon my sin and return with me that I may bow before the Lord Saul's mind is ticking over here I've been caught I've been called out I'm going to have to do something. Denial hasn't worked. Lying hasn't worked. So I'll give sorry a bash. A forced and feigned confession. Saul pleads forgiveness. And his words sound reasonable. I feared the people more than God. I'm sorry. And Samuel says to Saul in verse 26, I will not return with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe and it tore and Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day and given it to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. And also the glory of Israel will not lie or have regret for he is not a man that he should have regret. Then he said, Saul that is, I've sinned. Yet honor me now before the elders of my people and before Israel and return with me that I may bow before the Lord your God. So Samuel turned back after Saul and Saul bowed before the Lord. But there's nothing really more to talk about. The judgment has been made. When Saul grabs onto Samuel's coat and tears that piece of material off, the material is as useless to him as his vain attempts to hold onto the throne are. God's judgment has been made, Saul has been rejected. The Lord's resolve to replace Saul with another. Yeah, Saul's heart intent is laid bare. When all the chips are down, he does not fear the Lord in his pride. He loves the attention and the acclaim of man. Honor me before the elders of my people. Don't let me look bad. But the verdict of God stands. Then Samuel said, bring ye to me Agag, the king of the Amalekites. And Agag came to him cheerfully. Agag said, surely the bitterness of death is past. And Samuel said, as your sword has made women childless, so shall your mother be childless amongst women. And Samuel hacked Agag to pieces before the Lord in Gilgal. So the next bit is like a bit violent, PG rated. Agag arrives on the scene with a big smile on his face. The killing's over and he is safe. Maybe he saw Samuel, old and frail, and thought, surely this guy will go easy on me. But Samuel finds Agag guilty of crimes against humanity and chops him up into little bits and pieces. The prophet judges The prophet and judge does what Saul the king was supposed to do. Samuel carries out the justice of God. 1 Samuel chapter 15 tells a sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiral down to judgment. Uh, The points are the Lord's will, Saul's will, the Lord's rejection, the Lord's resolve, and finally the Lord's regret, verse 34 and 35. Then Samuel went... To Ramah and Saul went up to his house in Gibeah of Saul. And Samuel did not see Saul again until the day of his death. But Samuel grieved over Saul. This tale ends in a sad parting of company. Saul goes one way and Samuel goes the other. Ramah and Gibeah are less than 15 kilometers from one another, but they never see each other again. Samuel's heart, however, mourns for Saul. He is hurt for Saul, for the hardness of Saul's heart, for the doomed path Saul was walking, for Saul's knowledge of or Samuel's knowledge of where the spiral towards death would end. And the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king over Israel. This chapter closes with a repeat of God's heart The last time God regretted that he had made Saul king and so Samuel was broken hearted and wept. This time Samuel is grieving and so God is grieving too. The prophet Ezekiel put it this way. Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, I've no pleasure in the death of the wicked but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Or as Peter writes, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The end of this chapter, God's heart lies broken. 1 Samuel, the sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiral down to judgment. The Lord's will, Saul's will, the Lord's rejection, the Lord's resolve, and the Lord's regret. How do we go about applying this just briefly as we close? Friends, disobedience ends in judgment. How might we apply this to believers that are here this evening? Whereas disobedience ends in judgment, we who are in Christ have been called to a life of faithful obedience Obedience is the evidence and the fruit of your salvation. Obedience is the fruit of your salvation in that if we have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and our Savior and have been given his Holy Spirit, then the Holy Spirit of God within us produces obedience inside of us. That's what the new covenant is all about. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey, obey, obey my rules. Friends, obedience is the evidence of your salvation. The gospel that Jesus proclaimed was a call to discipleship, a call to follow him in submissive obedience, not just a plea to make a decision or pray a prayer. Now for this reason, John can write positively in 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, by this we know that we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And if the positive is true, then the negative is true too, which John writes in the very next verse. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. And Jesus can say, you are my friends if you do what I command you. Believer, you can't be so. You've been saved from that life. Now by the power of the Spirit within you, go forth and live an obedient life that God has planned for you. In the words of Oswald Chambers, One step forward in obedience is worth years of studying about it. Let me repeat that for those of you who came to both the morning service and the evening service. You are the choir. You learn a lot. You're reading Christian books during the week. You're filling your heads with knowledge about God. Now live that knowledge out. One step forward in obedience is worth years of study about it. How may we apply this to unbelievers here this evening? This passage connects the gospel to a historical trajectory. As Saul was judged for his disobedience, so too unbelievers will be judged for their disobedience. Paul writes, let no one deceive you with empty words, For because of these things, what things your sin, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Disobedience ends in judgment. You are in grave danger. A life of disobedience lived out before the watchful eye of a holy God. Friend, turn from your sin and turn to the Savior. Times of ignorance, God overlooked. But now he commands, he commands, his commands must be obeyed. He commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed the day on which he will judge. He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has appointed and of this he has given full assurance by raising him from the dead. You sit there in your chair in your sins and you think you are without hope before a holy God. You are not. You are not. Because one came before us. The obedient son of God was born of a virgin and lived a perfect life, the son of man, fully God and fully man. He lived the life that you could never live, obedient to his father in every way. And then he died, not for his sin, but he died for your sin as a substitute, that in his death, your sin may be forgiven. And in his resurrection, you might have hope that God might raise you from the dead. And I'm not just talking about from the grave. I'm talking from the dead. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. God can raise you from the dead in the same power that He raised Jesus Christ from the dead. The call on you, the first act of obedience is to turn from your sin and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. Repent. Cast your eye on the cross and believe upon the finished work of Jesus Christ for your salvation. 1 Samuel 15 tells the sad tale of Saul's disobedience spiral down to judgment. The Lord's will, Saul's will, the Lord's rejection, the Lord's resolve, the Lord's regret. 1 Samuel 15 helps us to see that disobedience ends in judgment. Just so far, let's pray. Father God in heaven, it's right that as we look at these texts, we examine our own hearts. Examine them for disobedience. Examine them, Lord God, for unconfessed sin. And it's right, Lord God, that we be quick to repent for Against you and you only have we sinned, O oh Lord. Father, but it's also right for us to remember that you are faithful and just and will forgive all unrighteousness for those who have called upon the name of the Lord and confess their sin. And so, Lord God, even this evening, I pray that your saints would be built up in your word, recognizing that we have the Holy Spirit of God within us that we might live out an obedient life to your praise and glory and that unbelievers, Lord God, would see their dreadful estate and flee to the cross of Christ because their disobedience will end in judgment. I ask, Lord, that you would make these things clear to us, that we would understand them and then that, Lord God, we would act according to that understanding for your praise and glory's sake. All these things we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this sermon. Find out more about Central Baptist Church at www.central.org.za.